They just don't really get it. Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hiya, I'm Colin McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. Everything from backstage to onstage, we're here to chat to the people that make up the scene. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, big up yourself. Thank you very much. If you haven't already, can you hit that follow button on Spotify or Apple Music? And can you give us a five-star rating if you enjoy the series? For season two, we're going further and uploading parts of the interviews to the YouTube channel the weekend after it's released on audio. So if you want to see the interview, head over to the Rewind That Track YouTube page. My guest this week is a producer, radio presenter, DJ, host and broadcast specialist. It's Carly Wilford. During this episode, we discuss securing Radio 1's track of the week. I dusted myself off, had a word myself, Wilford, sort your life out. Come on, let's go. You're going to be fine. Walked into the airport and got some Wi-Fi. And that minute, I just had this email pop through from Radio 1. And then obviously cried again because I've just been crying about the fact that I've got to let this stuff go. What it's like being present in a culture where music has been illegal up until a year ago. And so being around a country, being around people, who were never allowed music growing up. Like you get in a taxi there, there's no music playing. You go to a shop, there's no music going on in the background. And we discussed the darker aspect of the music scene and what happened to Carly at an industry party. Basically my drink got spiked and pretty badly. And I basically got taken by a gang and I got into what I thought was a taxi to take me home. And it was a gang car. As a heads up to listeners, there are some sensitive topics discussed in this episode, which might cause distress. My guest this week is an incredible DJ, producer and radio presenter. Starting out on the Rinse FM breakfast show, she secured releases on the likes of Tool Room Records, played out at the likes of Glastonbury, Partlife and Wireless, won the award for music and entertainment at the Women Leaders Awards 2020 and interviewed some of the biggest names in the music and film industry. It's Carly Wilford. Good Hi. afternoon, Carly. How are you? Hi, darling. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Like we were just saying here, full clarification, this is at the end of January. Uh, January, like we were saying, is the is the start of some people like starting off new sort of ideas and new sort of goals for the end of the year. One of the things I've been putting myself through is dry January, not drinking for the month, feeling healthier for it, feeling a lot more productive, not having hangovers on the weekends. How about yourself? Yeah, see, I don't really do dry January, um, but I really appreciate people that do and fair play, loads of respect. I kind of, it's really weird, like whenever... January comes, I'm this person that on New Year's Eve, I kind of set intentions for the rest of that year. So I'm all about goal setting, moving towards things. I don't love this whole restricting, putting loads of rules in place. So I'm like, I don't know, I kind of write a list of, and I write it in the past tense. So things that I've achieved in 2022, mm. and then I imagine they've already happened. So I'm very much about that as opposed to, you know, setting things that means you can't do this and you can't do that. I'm a bit of a rule breaker, so I probably wouldn't stick to it. So that's probably oh, why sorry, I do it that, the other way. Is that manifesting? There we is go, Is that what babe. it's called, manifesting? <laughs> is that manifesting? Is that what it's called? It like is. where you write something down and you're like, you're putting it into the, putting it into the ether, putting it into the universe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I work loads with all that stuff, vision boards and yeah, just, I don't know. I think years ago I read this book called The Secret and it's about the law of attraction. And um, from that point, I've kind of done it 
throughout my career, like I'd imagine myself interviewing the people that I wanted to imagine. I imagine myself on stages, even through lockdown, check this. I used to, this is mad when I actually vocalize it, but I used to do live stream gigs and then imagine a crowd of people out in front of me. And so yeah. I'd kind of put myself in those situations before they'd happened. Um, so yeah, that's what my goal setting stuff's all about. Was that because of a lack of like, when you were, like you said, in lockdown there, like you were missing sort of having that live interaction with people and you were missing that, or was it sort of, you just felt like it, you just enjoyed the sets better or what was it sort of about having that sort of imagining that live sort of, uh, in, like that live audience there sort of, how did that make sort of the shows better or the mixes better or sort of the whole performance better? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've always done it to be honest, even when I was playing like dingy East London clubs, I imagined that I was playing at Fabric. And so hmm. I just think that if you want to achieve your dreams in this industry, which is hard and it is brutal, then I think even the other day when I was playing um, Ministry of Sound and there was like 2000 people in front of me, I was imagining myself at Red Rocks in America, you know? So you're kind of like, okay, I've done this, let's bring it forward. So in lockdown, there was obviously that huge miss of having crowds, but I use lockdown as almost like a boot camp. So as and when the world started to move again, I wanted to be on bigger stages and playing bigger clubs. And so mm. there was part, obviously I was missing it and imagining that, but also wanting to get myself in that place. So as and when things started to move again, I was in a really strong position to be able to play those spaces, you know? What do you sort of think the uh, the biggest difference is between, it might sound like a silly question, but what do you think the biggest difference is between playing those sort of smaller clubs um, and your set and how you're playing out versus like when you're playing a massive, massive sort of like thousand capacity, 2000, 3000 capacity room slash uh, event? Do you sort of like change your set up at all or is it sort of the same throughout, uh, like regardless of the sort of venue that you're playing at? I mean, I came up on playing like the dingiest little clubs in Shoreditch and absolutely lived for it. And I've spoken about this before in interviews, but I used to play like eight to 12 hour sets sometimes. So I've kind of cut my teeth on having to learn to work the room. So however much I'll ever plan a set, I always switch it up. I have so many different directions that it can go in, but they're two completely different crowds, you know, and two completely different vibes. But I mean, I think being a DJ and being a producer are two different things, right? And I'm lucky that I came up as a DJ and I learned so much about understanding what your job is. So then when I became a producer, I almost had that foundation of understanding what people wanted from a set. Um, and so I still live for those really low ceiling, sweaty, like 6am gigs where there's like a hundred people, but being able mm. to take that energy and then make that relevant when you're playing in front of two, 3000 people is also such a skill set. Because the thing is when you're on stage, it's you versus you. Like if you're in your head and you're disconnected from the crowd, they feel that. And I think mm. when you're spending time in those little clubs where you probably feel a bit more connected to people and you're more confident because there's less people there, it's taking that experience and then putting it on a bigger stage. And there's definitely times where I've done bigger shows and I haven't felt prepared or I felt scared or you know, and you can feel that in your set and so can the crowd. So I think mm. it's about always making sure that you're staying to, staying connected to the room at all times. Yeah. And just because I've managed to be able to talk to anybody on the podcast about, look, you touched on there doing back in the day, eight to 12 hour sets, like eight to 12 hour sort of like mixes. Number one, a couple of questions from that. 
what are you what what's going into the preparation physically for those types of things like having to stand there like are we talking like eating like loads of certain foods like drinking certain things like making sure because like on its own like that's like a that's a day's like a whole day's work standing there mixing behind the decks like not moving how are you preparing for those types of uh, <laughs> those types of sets like when was the last number one when was the last time you sort of did a set like that long and number two sort of how do you go around preparing for it I haven't done a set that long for a while apart from in my house I have something called the rave cave which is in my basement so the last time was probably me and my mates around here having a little mix um, a little party um, but you know what back in the day early days I never used to prepare for them I used to just turn up and rock up and that was that but realizing that being on a mojito diet probably wasn't going to cut it in the long term <laughs> <laughs> um, you know because there's just no sustainability in that I used to take snacks and then I used to bend down and like eat, eat them underneath eat the decks. I'd like <laughs> have to put on a long song and run to the toilet and then like take a little protein bar out and I don't know that you know th there's some places that you play and actually the better that you get venues do look after you but in the early days people don't give a shit you're on 10 pounds an hour they're like look will you just stand yeah. in the corner and play Rihanna please and if you went off piece and started to play house music you'd get abused like it was absolutely the most hardcore way to ever learn to DJ. People would come up and shout at you and say, why aren't you playing Amy Winehouse? And, you know, all this stuff would happen. But it made me a better DJ. I've done those 10,000 hours in those spaces That's where you're thing. just like, mate, what is this? You might not be able to remember it because it's quite on the spot. What's, what do you reckon the worst thing is that somebody's come up to you and said during while you've been DJing? It, like, is there anything that sort of sticks out in your mind where you're like, oh god, this person was like, person was like crowd member from hell? I still get it now. Like, really? Yes, yeah, seriously. And I hadn't had it for a long time because there's kind of this switch that I went through from being a DJ where you're playing where a venue wants you to play a music policy or to a brief, and then there mm. was this step over when I started to release my music where people are coming to a set to see Carly. And so mm -hmm. it's such a nice transition when you can stand on stage and people genuinely, you're playing a shorter set for a start, right? So you're normally playing an hour, mm. hour and a half, two hours max. So that's very different. And during those sets, I haven't ever had anyone give me any abuse. But if you're playing a venue and you're playing house music, which is what I now play, and I've stood my ground on quite firmly because that's what I make, right? Yeah. Um, the last one I had was actually on New Year's Eve. And I got pasted. <laughs> I got really? absolutely pasted for not playing R&B um, from various different people. And it was really interesting because I hadn't had that in a really long time. Some, this girl came up to me and she was like, hey, babes, no one's dancing. And I was like, right? Because there'd just been a band on, right? So everyone had just gone to get yeah. drinks and stuff. And I was playing in a hotel. It wasn't like I was in a club. Well, she held my hands and she went, sweetheart, play Disclosure. And I was just like, oh, oh my God, it was like this passive aggressive kind of moment where you're just like, yeah. oh, I forgot about this. And I was really, it was like really, I know there was kind of two mixed emotions, right? Because I used to deal with that every weekend and I hadn't dealt with it for so long that it made me realize how far I'd come. Um, yeah. Up and coming DJs, you've been there, just go through it, smile sweetly. When they come and ask for some ridiculous request, I remember playing a room I was playing Patrick Toppin. The place was going off. 200 people, arms in the air, little sweaty venue, amazing. And this this woman, <laughs> and I joked earlier about Amy Winehouse, but it did actually happen. She was still <laughs> at the side of the decks and um, she just looked at me and she went, she came up to me, she went, um, excuse me, can you play, play Amy Winehouse, please? And I just looked at her and I learned pretty quickly, right? That I used to just say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll see if I've got it. 
because any other reaction, if you say no to that person and they really want that track, you're going to piss them off. So I was like, yeah, yeah I'll have a look. So I, I pretended to scroll on my USB. I knew in the depths of my USB, I probably had it, but it was not yeah. the right time and space in the middle of playing Patrick Topping and Green Velvet, right? It just doesn't work. So she carried on and she's this part, she was getting really angry. So she folded of, arms, folded arms, arms and everything. Proper Karen, yeah, proper Karen. Yeah, exactly. it was, <laughs> I didn't ever ask her name, but it was quite relevant. And, and I think, you know, screw face. And then, she came over again are you going to play me not winehouse or not and i was just like oh oh sorry i'll, I'll have another look and then she just came over to me and by about by, by this point everyone is just absolutely living like it was it was such a fun set and i just had yeah. this woman i was trying to manage and she just came over she went you are the worst dj i have ever seen <laughs> and i looked around the room and i smiled at her and i just said thank you so much and then she <laughs> left <laughs> But the rest of the place is going off. But but you know what? If I wasn't strong enough and I wasn't sober at the time, then you know I think those sort of things can really throw you out. And and anyone that's watching this, mm. if you've ever done this to a DJ, that person's a human and they're doing their job. Imagine if they came up to you at your desk at work and started grilling you about the way to answer the phone or whatever. People just wouldn't do it. But for some reason in a nightclub, people feel this audacity to come and tell you how to do your job. And yes, yeah, sometimes I don't need this whole request thing. Some people nail it. And there's been times where people mm. say, can you play this? I play it and it goes off. But those type of moments, like you're not there to receive that type of abuse from people. And imagine someone coming up to you in the office and doing that. For a start, if they worked there, they'd get a disciplinary. But um, mm. yeah, it was, it was, you know, you had to become quite hard. But also like I had to learn to take it on the chin and crack on because there's no point getting feisty with that person because they're obviously probably drunk or, you know, got to be in their bonnet about, Amy Winehouse for some reason. I mean, she's an absolute fucking legend, but you know, it's just, yeah. in the early days, there was a lot of stuff that happened like that. It was tough. Do you reckon it's some people as well that have just not realized like, for example, say that was that woman's first rave that she's been to. She's only ever been to nightclubs. She's only ever been to sort of like commercial type things. If she's been to like, if this is the first time she's going to a tech house rave, I sometimes think like, they just don't really get it. Like some people might not get it and think like, what are you doing? Like, it's not, if this isn't like Yates on like a Friday <laughs> afternoon, you can't go up to the DJ and be like, can you just put on Venga Boys or something like that? It's like, you're, you're there to see people you've bought tickets to go see somebody like we're not taking requests what are you trying to do is just having the audacity to come up to someone and be like you know what i know what this room needs right now like i'm gonna put this through i think sometimes maybe it's that as well where it's just like that like yeah that could have been her first rave or first event but you wouldn't go to like yeah i think it maybe depends on like the location and stuff as well doesn't it like she's not gonna go up to where, like main stage at warehouse project and like try to get on stage and be like yeah just i, I need this bang run not tonight you're not on the list hey it's carly wilford and you're listening to the you're not on the list podcast for rewind that track i was just gonna say that you mentioned uh hinted at the start there where you where you were playing sort of the the smaller dingier clubs uh, in east london right back at, towards the start of your career if we were to take it all the way right back to the start and um, what are your sort of earliest memories and earliest influences with like music so sort of stuff that was going on around the house or sort of the first raves or events that you went to See, growing up, it was all about like Genesis, Phil Collins, me and my mom and my sisters. And we used to like dance around the front room. It was such a musical house. And my dad used to have this like escort convertible. And he used to put me and my sisters, I've got two sisters, both younger than me, they're amazing. And he used to put us both in the back. He always had this incredible sound system, boom box in the boot. And then we'd go to like HMV on a Saturday and he'd go and buy the most amazing amazing like dance music electronic music and then 
whack us in the back of the car under a blanket and then he'd just go on road trips with with us all like singing at the top of our voices so I think music has always had such a big connection for me with my family about like you know feel good times and I mean dance music itself I think probably started in the back of my dad's car with my sisters Mm. in that escort like zooming around the back roads of like the villages that we used to live in probably highly illegal now I mean if anyone saw a (laughs) saw a parent with three kids strapped in the back under a blanket yeah under a blanket I don't even know if we probably (laughs) had seatbelts on back then um having the time of our lives arms in the air like you know um so yeah, it's always it's always been that moment I think that was when I started to understand electronic music anyway. And then I definitely used to go out when I was like 14. Um, one of those ones you got into the club see I was I had a baby face when I was young well I just I couldn't get in even up to 18 19 still getting ID'd and stuff like that to get into clubs so see it's all about fake ID see so we used to make our own fake ID go up to the bouncers I mean I don't know I definitely looked 14 at 14 and so I don't know <laughs> I don't know I'm just gonna have to ask there as well how are you making you say you just you just knock that off as though to be like yeah we were making our own <laughs> fake ID like what were you what were you making out of it was terrible we were just making it on the computer name of our school our name the class we're in and then date of birth and then we used to go and have a little photo put it on laminate it and then you'd just go to the bouncer smile flash it and then you walked i mean we all had wow i think they must have thought back then you know it was a standard thing i mean why would you need a a school id with not much information apart from your date of birth on but um, it worked. So blagging my way into raves at 14, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Looking back, if I had children, <laughs> I'd be like, what, what do you mean you're going to the cinema again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> cinema at three in the morning, is it? I don't think so. Nothing's going on then. And what's that change of clothes in your, car, in, your <laughs> in your bag? Like, why do you keep leaving the house with like a tiny little skimpy raving outfit to go to the cinema? I don't know. So what were these, uh, what were the first raves that you were going to then sneaking in when you were 14? Oh, I mean, I was doing like Ritzy and The Zone and like all of these like cheesy clubs at the start, but they always had two rooms, didn't they? They had like a main room and then like more of like a R&B hip hop room. So that was the first ones. And then I remember my first proper rave. I mean, that was an absolute fucking game changer. I remember, cause I'm from Northamptonshire and I remember... I passed my driving test, I was 17. And I remember as soon as I passed my driving test thinking, right, that's it, it is on. I'm going to go outside of Northamptonshire and went to Milton Keynes and I went to the sanctuary and there was Gatecrasher. And again, obviously had to have fake ID because you definitely probably had to be 18 to get in there. I remember this huge queue and me and my mate, we both knew we were underage and we kind of stood in this queue and you know, you feel so nervous because you're like, Mm. I just hope I'm going to get past the bouncer. And that moment when you get in, And then I walked into this main arena and there was just thousands of people sold out. It was absolutely going off. And it kind of pulled back the curtain on this whole new world for me. And yeah, from that point onwards, there was just no turning back. Who was was playing at that event? Can you remember? Oh God, you know what? I found the flyer like a few years ago. It's up in my attic, but it would be people like Sonic and... You know, like, I don't know. It's really funny because I'm actually starting to get booked on lineups of people like Brandon Block and Alex P and Tall Paul. It was all of those lot, right? And um, mm. I'm playing some gigs in a few weeks with them all. And I've seen, I've obviously met them all in my DJ career now. So it's really funny because, yeah, obviously I was definitely at the front, not supposed to have been there. But yeah, good vibes. 
good memories. Good vibes. What do you, um, do you think sort of raves or events have changed sort of those first ones that you remember going to and having that sort of lineup um, now looking towards sort of like obviously 2020, 2021, sort of the, the back end of that type of thing. What do you sort of think the biggest changes in like live music or the biggest changes from like, if you compare sort of like the first rave you went to, to sort of like some of the most, the most recent ones that you've been to yourself, not that you've been performing at, but sort of have just been at. Social media changed everything. Camera phones changed mm-hmm. everything. Things were a lot more loose back then. Um, not everything was documented. You were very much more in the moment, very much more on the dance floor, like listening to the music. There was much more of a heartbeat of the crowd. I think that was the thing that changed everything forever, actually, because, you know, you do still go to parties where people lose themselves. But I think mm. people always, you always have some kind of awareness that someone could document what's going on or take a photo or post it and I think that changed everything and I I literally I was only chatting to one of my mates about this recently just saying back in the day when no one had those their phones out the whole time it was almost like there was this feeling of discovery because you'd go into a club at whatever time and you wouldn't even know the time always because you wouldn't wear a watch you know what I mean now you can look at your phone and you know the time like it's weird it's I think I think that's been the main change, and even set times as well. Like people not knowing the set times or what stuff's on. Like it's it's starting here, it's ending at this time. Like set times aren't being posted online. If you want to get, if you want to see one of these DJs, like you got to be there at the start type thing. Or and you I think didn't that's even know the lineup, well. so you'd turn up and be like, "Oh my god, it's so and so." I remember going to like Sankey's in Manchester, and it's like, "Oh my god, that's Danny Rampling." Like you know, there's, there's that, especially because there was no apps either. Like you'd have, even at the festivals, you'd have like a lanyard, but you wouldn't have an app that would tell you or beep you and say, oh, your, your, you know, favorite person's going to be on the stage. So I think it was a lot more organic. Um, but you know, the dance music scene right now is in such a strong place. Like I feel genuinely excited about being part of this industry at the moment because especially after two years of people being locked away, the raves are good. Like the parties are amazing. People have kind of put their phones down a bit more. Before the, before mm. lockdown, it was very much this, you'd look up and everyone everyone was filming. And I feel like we have gone back a little bit, which just feels really good. And I feel like when you take something away from people, when it's slowly drip fed back in, there's a, a huge appreciation for that. And I think, yeah, some of the rays that we're witnessing now are some of the best that they've been in a very long time. And I think that's really exciting. And, you know, I think so much has changed over the last few years. There's loads of new acts coming through, music's changed, you know, more people have started making music and there's, you know, the lineups are different. And I think they needed to be because there was so many festivals. It'd be the same people, the same agents booking the same lineups. Hmm. And now it's like everything's been shaken up. You know, you look at people, even on Radio One, everything's changed. And people like Jaguar have been absolutely instrumental for bringing through this wave of new electronic artists from the proper underground, people from their bedroom who are just getting a you know shot at being heard all across the UK and then getting booked on lineups. And yeah, it feels like a really exciting time for our scene. Do you feel like um, a lot of these like new producers and new DJs and stuff like that were, were people that took advantage of some of the time off that they might have had during lockdown and like have, have learned to produce, have got on Ableton, have got onto Fruity Loops, have got onto Logic and stuff like that and have now come out the other side and are like, oh sick, like TikTok's blowing up now. So I know that if I put this little like one minute, like 30 second clip up on TikTok, I can suddenly like in the next two weeks, like 
gain thousands of followers and stuff like that. And there's these other avenues now that aren't the stereotypical avenues that you used to have to go through before. That means like, like you were saying there, that new talent can be discovered and like new people can be booked and like new people can come through. Yeah. And the music's great. Like all of those producers, there was so many producers that were nearing burnout and DJs that were just like back to back bookings, flights, hotel rooms, those two years, like some of the tunes that are coming out now are so great. I mean, the rise of Fred again this year, let's talk about him. Like his music is just beautifully put together and it's creative. It's different. Like I just feel like it's been such a refreshing time because the music that we're hearing is quite wholesome and even new producers coming through, it's like people are taking risks or they're doing things differently. And actually that pause and that reset is something that I think had been needed for a very long time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there was a, uh, there's been new organic things that have developed from that and new people given the opportunity. And like you said as well, some people just forcibly or not being able to have that break, take their foot off the gas for a second and like rebuild and like think like which direction do I want to go in and not having to have that constant pressure of being like booking weekend, booking weekend, booking weekend, where am I flying out to? Where am I doing this and that? Sometimes it can seem overwhelming for new producers starting out. Thankfully, there are music schools and courses that are available for people wanting to learn. I spoke to Carly about the Tool Room Music Academy. As you're repping the uh, the Tool Room jumper there, uh, the Tool Room hoodie as well, went through the Tool Room Academy. So for the people that aren't aware, Tool Room, a music label, house, a tech house and techno. Would you be able to give us a little overview of sort of the, uh, the Tool Room Academy and the sort of your process of going through it? Yeah, sure. It's really funny because I've been thinking about mu- making music for a long time. And I remember going to Brighton Music Conference and Tool Room had almost like this little pop-up. And I went to go and chat to them and I was like, look, I really want to start making music. And I feel like I've hit a glass ceiling as a DJ and I know this is where I need to go, but I have no idea where to start. And I tried having a little look on like YouTube and I just felt I got completely lost in it and I wasn't really getting anywhere. And so I chatted to them and anyway, long and short of it, they asked me to do some work for them. And they basically emailed me one day and was like, look, cause we've got a space on the course. Are you up for it? And it was starting in the January, right? So the lockdown happened in the March. And so I kind of dedicated three months in that January to go, look, if that means I have to cut back on gigs to get this done, because mm. it was a, it was like a pretty full on course. Like it was a boot camp, of course, it wasn't easy. I kind of put aside that time. And so obviously then when lockdown happened, I was already in my course. And my work has stopped. So it meant that I had all that time to completely fully focus on learning how to make music. But the academy is absolutely brilliant. And they work very much with like, they teach you about how to break down a track and, you know, how to then build from like kick drum, bass line, hi-hats, et cetera. And then over those three months, they help you to create a finished track. And I just absolutely soaked it up and loved it. I found it really hard because I was so used to being a DJ. You're quite busy, you're quite active. So sitting down in front of a computer day in, day out, and trying to understand what on earth an EQ is and, you know, why have you got to compress this and, you know, what's automation and all of this stuff that I just had no bloody idea about any of it. Um, It just became my focus through lockdown. And I think I feel so blessed to have had that because it was almost like my foundation that kind of when I didn't know what was going on and the world seemed a bit crazy, I just kind of went back and was like, right, let's go back to this beat. And I remember working on the first track I finished, Generation X. I worked on it for 10 months because I was trying to perfect it. And I really wanted it to be the best that it could be. Um, But that was my go back to. So like, I just make that my focus, but the tutors are brilliant. 
the team at Tool Room are, you know, world class and they love the music that they put out. And, you know, if they back you, they back you. And I feel so lucky that I kind of came with a dedication and an open mind to learn. So yeah, for anyone that is wanting to learn to make house music, especially then, you know, it is absolutely brilliant. And I, I haven't done any of the courses, so I don't know what other courses are like, but it's completely changed the path of my career. Uh, but obviously it has done well because uh, the BBC introducing track of the week, obviously all of that has been paid off. All of the course has paid off. It's, uh, it's all come around through. How did, uh, how did that come around? Oh, I mean, I'm just off the back of this, right? So I've had the most crazy week and it's been amazing. So I'm from Northampton. I used to live in London for a long time, just before lockdown, moved back here. And so when Generation X, which was my first track, came out, I decided to put it on the BBC Introducing Uploader. And so it went to BBC Introducing in Northampton and they've really backed it and been really supportive. And off the back of their first play, it then went to Jaguar on Radio 1, Annie Mack then played it, um, Danny Howard then played it. So it kind of all, almost went on this journey and that was over the course of a few months. It didn't happen instantly. It kind of went, BBC Introduced Northampton, Jaguar, mm -hmm. Animat, Danny Howard, it kind of went on this journey. So I knew that it was possible that if I made the right track, it could go further. But I didn't quite imagine that this is what would happen. So I then released a couple of other tracks. One was a bit more, they're both a bit more underground, a bit more for the club, because even though mm -hmm. I wanted to put stuff out that was accessible for radio, I still wanted to be able to play my tunes in a club and it go off, you know. So I did a couple mm -hmm. of releases of that. And then We Rise, I wrote in lockdown and actually talking about what clubbing would be like when everything reopened again. Because obviously so many of us were just sat at home, like either making beats or feeling depressed about the fact that we couldn't dance together and watching endless live streams. I remember watching DJ EZ live streams at 24 hour streams being like, I yes. wish I was there. And then watching Bicep, by the way. If you ever need to be inspired about music, Bicep and Fortet all the way. I remember watching Bicep at the Saatchi Gallery. I think it was Saatchi Gallery and just being like, yes. And all of this stuff was to feel inspired. But yeah. that thing of thinking, well, what, club, what's, what club's even going to be like when we go back? And so I wrote this track with a mate of mine um, and We Rise was kind of born. And I just always knew it was really special. Um, and there was so much intention that went into it as well. Like really thinking about, you know, Music is so important when people are feeling rubbish and the world had kind of gone through this real lull. People were genuinely really down and unhappy and a lot of people had lost their businesses and jobs and people that they loved. So it was like, can we create a track that brings good vibes, good energy, something that infuses everything that we want people to feel again um, and almost bottle it. So we wrote that and yeah, um, yeah obviously put it on the BBC Introduce and Uploader. And then I got a message from Kerry Kosh or Kerry Kosh, I think it's Kerry Kosh. And she said to me, oh, just to let you know, I've kind of put this forward to the team at Radio One. And I just kind of sat patiently and didn't really think much more of it. And then I went on holiday to the Maldives and I was in the airport on the way home. And I'd had like a bit of an emotional time because a few months before I'd broken up with my ex and I kind of was going through a few, a few bits like personally. I'm a bit of a hippie. So I kind of done this meditation at the airport of all places because my flight was, I was at the airport really early. I remember sitting at sunset. I remember almost having a real word with myself and being like, look, if you want to go into this next phase of your life, you're going to have to let a lot of this shit go. And I remember just sitting there and I just cried because I'd been through so much and I felt so ready to move on to the 
the next level of my career and where I wanted to go, but I didn't know how that was going to shape itself. I didn't know in what form that was going to come in, but I knew Mm. this stuff that I'd been through was holding me back because I I wasn't letting it go. So anyway, had a little cry, you know, Maldives is amazing by the way, because the airport, you're by the sea. So you pull up to the airport in a boat. And so I'd sat literally by the sea doing this. That's why you want to have a cry, to be honest. Exactly. By the sea, just sun's out. Beautiful. If you're going to have a cry, if you're going to have a cleanse, you at least want to be getting into tan, getting a tan <laughs> while you're doing it. I was on my own though, mate. So people must have thought I was fucking mental because they're like, yeah. she's right. <laughs> Maybe they just thought it was like, oh, she's just, it's such a beautiful place. It's just really got to her. It's so emotional. Like, it's, just, it's really her. touching. Yeah. It's really touching there. I mean, I have been known to quite the odd sunset, but not to this extreme. So, anyway, <laughs> at that moment, I dusted myself off, had a word myself, Wilford, sort your life out. Come on, let's go. You're going to be fine. Walked into the airport and got some Wi Fi. And I was in the queue waiting to like check in. And because I was on my own, I was just scrolling on my phone. And then, scrolled up my phone and that minute I just had this email pop through from Radio 1 saying it's going to be track of the week on the 14th of January and then obviously cried again because I've just been crying yeah. about the fact that I've got to let this stuff that's go. not to 100 that is <laughs> not to 100 proper quick isn't it but doesn't it show like sometimes you're the person that's blocking your path because you're not allowing yourself to be in flow of your life and so it was just the most nuts thing because being there on your own you had no one to share it with so I was a bit like well, that's weird. And so, yet again, yeah. I'm in the queue crying. People must have thought I was odd. Then I just phoned my sister. I was like, you're not going to believe what's happening. I was going to say, who's the first person you let know? <laughs> yeah. Your sister. I've got uh, my younger sister called Kimberly. She's amazing. Um, and she's just like, her and I chat all day. She's like my little go-to when live stuff happens. And But then it was like this moment of being like, right, I need to get myself ready because I knew this was coming. And this was probably like five, six weeks away from when I first knew about it. So you know, making sure from that point onwards, I was busy making other music and having other stuff ready because, you know, you only really get that chance once. And I knew that them backing me and being played on shows like Scott Mills and Greg James and Adele Roberts and Ariel Free, like that's daytime radio, right? So that's, that's them saying, you know, watch out for Carly Wilford and then backing you, which, you know, was pretty overwhelming and amazing because it's what you work all those endless hours in front of the computer for, you know? So Hmm. yeah, it was a bit of a mad time, but I think in life, you know, if you want something, you have to put yourself out there and you have to work really hard to make it happen. And I've never been afraid of that. I've never been afraid of hard work and just, you know, digging deep when things get tough. And even if that means that it's looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, what's my part in this? What can I do better? How can I move myself out of the way? What do I need to move on from? And that's what I'd done at the airport. And it was almost instant, crazy. Was it quite surreal as well? Because obviously you've been on the other side before where you have been before producing and before to like sort of DJing out like that, presenting and being on the radio side and being that end and now sort of have it obviously coming through from the other side, producing, having tracks on there. Like like you said, the, the, some of the DJs and some of the people that you would have mentioned before you would have worked with and would have known. So obviously seeing your name come through and be like, oh shit, like this is fantastic as well. Like we recognize Carly from like presenting and from being on radio and stuff like that. The actual production side and actually coming through, it's sort of like you're covered 
all territories now in radio absolutely all territories like there's there is there is there anything left like that you could do like from a radio perspective i'd like to have my own show again and i'd like to have it as okay. a specialist radio show i think that would be really cool um i'd love to do that at some point or do some more stuff on radio because i genuinely do really miss it and you know when i did the breakfast show waking up every day i mean that was brutal because i was doing really late night gigs and not enough sleep and going straight to radio up at 5 30 but that genuine connection that radio has with your audience and I think this time around when my tracks were being played on radio and people were tagging me and stuff and they were driving along or they were at work like you know builders were on site playing it it really reminded me of those early days of radio as to why I fell in love with it because yeah. with radio you have so much imagination and you know you're just someone that's in a studio and you're talking and you're playing the music that you love yet in reality that's touching people all over the world and you know you never really know where people are it could be someone at work it could be someone having the worst day of their life and something that you play really touches them and i think radio mm. is so powerful and it's something that streaming's tried to replace but i don't think it ever will because there's still that real human connection and i think that's what makes it so powerful so yeah hearing my track played was like surreal but just so amazing and yeah made me just really appreciate that radio is still really important no matter what it's a, yeah like you said there's a there's there's obviously like listen again features and there's like stuff like on live tv like comparing it to sort of like live tv as well live tv like people don't really watch as much live tv nowadays because they watch everything on demand like they watch stuff on demand they watch it when they want when they get back from work like sort of like live in comparison to 10 20 years ago live tv figures are down but it feels like radio still people will have on in the office they'll have it on in the car they'll have it on driving there's still that live access bit there there's still people listening to it on the regular like they're like when it's going out, when it's being broadcast, which I feel like other formats haven't really still managed to hold on to as much. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes if I listen to a streaming platform, I end up listening to the same stuff or the same playlist. Mm. Whereas radio gives you music you like, music you don't like, it helps you discover new artists. But interestingly, as a producer, the stats on it are mad. Like when you notice, like my Shazam stats was so big from when a certain DJ would play it, you'd notice a spike. So you know that right. the audience is still really engaged. And it's also really important. Like new music discovery is so important. And that human picking a track because they love it, energetically connecting with it as opposed to an algorithm picking something out. I think there's still something in it. And, you know, radio has been on a bit of a journey, especially when obviously, you know, the rise of Spotify and Apple Music and all these streaming platforms came along. I don't think it knew where its place was going to be. But I think during the pandemic, people kind of, you were at home on your own, you almost wanted to hear that human voice and someone telling you that everything was going to be all right. And I think mm. it kind of found its new ground again. Yeah. And like you said, having a personality, um, I think is a, is a big thing. Like somebody being able to sense someone's personality, being able to sort of work off and vibe off someone's personality, even different presenters and different radio shows, having different personalities and having different music. Um, I don't think we'll ever be able to sort of replace a Spotify curated playlist or a recommended playlist. Music festivals, raves and live music can be taken for granted in 2022, so it can be easy to forget that not everyone has easy access to a dance. I spoke to Carly about travelling around the world with music. Um, you also touched on as well, you were saying about um, sort of radio going around the world. And as somebody that has DJed around the world and DJed across the whole of the UK, played lots of festivals and lots of different events, what's something that you think people would be surprised to find out about? 
about DJing sort of around the world or something that you think like, well, this is a bit of a myth that is sort of, that is sort of spread around or that I've heard before, but I'd like to dispel this myth now and say like, this is not the case. I mean, I love travel. Oh, welcome to my cat, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love traveling and I've actually been lucky enough to be some, go look along and visit some countries that have kind of changed the way I look at music forever. And I think in the UK, we can kind of take a lot of things for granted. And so before Christmas, I went to Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia, music was illegal for a very long time. And only up until recently was it made legal. So I actually went out there and I spoke at the first ever music conference. And it was the second year of their first ever music festival. And so being wow. around a country, being around people who were never allowed music growing up, like for example, in school plays, they weren't allowed to sing. It had to be spoken word. So wow. you get in a taxi there, there's no music playing. You go to a shop, there's no music going on in the background. So being in a country where all of a sudden the government have gone, we're going to legalize music and actually it's okay for you to listen to it is one of the most inspiring things I have been around in a very long time. And I think, you know, in the UK, you can keep yourself in this bubble that this is our world. It's not. There's a big wide world going on out there and people live very, very differently. And so the ability of being able to travel with what I do has made me a lot more grounded and humble as a, as a human because you forget. Imagine growing up with no music. Imagine like that was genuinely illegal. Also, yeah. when I was in Saudi, it's I spent time with like the people who created the underground rave movement there. Because even though music was illegal, people still listened to it. And so yeah. there was all these people that were responsible for creating underground raves. And yeah. their life has now been made legal. So, yeah, I mean, traveling, traveling opens your mind if you allow it to. Like you can just go and you can do your thing and you can do your set and you can leave. Or you can take an essence of each country and, you know, really appreciate it for what it is. Like I remember going to Exit Festival in Serbia and again, like the festival there was started as an uprising to the government. Um, they'd had a really tough time. And so, you know, people rave on the main stage, you look out and there's still like 20,000 people still raving at like 7am in the morning. Like you get here at 11 o'clock at night, but by that point we're a bit flaky. We've gone home, we've got an Uber and, you know, off you go to bed. Um, yeah. So I think, I think travel is so important as a DJ and I think music is so important and is way bigger than you. And being able to have that responsibility to go to places and be able to open people's minds and, you know, change lives really in many ways is just something that I will never, ever take for granted. Yeah, I mean, personally, I hadn't really, I hadn't even started to think about sort of the uh, the politics of how different music can be in different cultures and different countries. Obviously, in the UK, we had the uh, we had the sort of like anti rave act that came in in like nineteen the nineties and stuff like that, and uh, that was used to dispel like parties and gatherings and other bits and pieces and stuff like that. But still, witnessing and still seeing that going on around the world today, um, it's not something that you obviously see necessarily on social media as much. It's not necessarily something that's discussed regularly in the music industry or it's not really discussed as in like this is this can't be played out here or these people are being like not allowed to play this types of music so it's um it's fascinating that you've got you've got to see that firsthand and to be able to witness cultures 
suddenly have that introduction of music and have something that is so important to all of us in the day-to-day life and suddenly having, like you said, a switch where you can go, you know what, you can do that now. Like, absolutely, yeah, it's fine. There's no problem. It must be a, must be monumental to, uh, to witness and experience. And also being around people whose eyes are bright and genuinely really excited because they don't really have a music industry there. So they're having to build the music industry around the government decision that you're allowed in. Mm. And so I ran a DJ workshop and you're speaking to people who never in their lifetime thought they'd ever be able to be a DJ and they now have that as a possibility of a career. Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hey, it's Carly Wilford and you're listening to the You're Not On The List podcast for Rewind That Track. To go from something that is absolutely really fantastically positive uh, and great and flip it on its head. Obviously, we want to get sort of a balance in the music industry and other guests we've had on have, have discussed different parts of their um, of their industry and different parts of their, their, their journey so far within the industry and their experiences. What's sort of like the worst thing, uh, either DJing-wise or producing-wise or playing-out-wise or just sort of the worst thing that you've experienced um, during sort of like your, your music industry career? So... I mean, I did warn you about this before we came on, but it's not pretty if I'm honest. And it was really funny because when I first moved to London, I didn't really know anybody and I didn't really like understand the music industry. And so trying to find my way and bearing in mind, this wasn't as a DJ, this was a pre- as a presenter. I used to have to go around to events and clubs and I'd find myself in all sorts of dodgy situations because London's a big place, right? And it's a big city and people don't know you. They don't care about you, you know, majority of the time. You meet people that are like fleeting friends that you'll go to events with or, you know, won't ever see again. And I remember trying to come up as a presenter, trying to, you know, interview people on the red carpet and run around the city with my camera and my microphone. And I remember I'd moved to Angel, so I was living in like near East London, like Northeast. Mm. And I remember you used to get these nights where you go to like, I mean, this is in Kensington. I think it was a place called. I remember going there. And if you knew the promoter, you were allowed on the table and, you know, all of this. And then you'd get drinks. And I remember going with a mate of mine and we both had a glass of champagne and we were drinking, a pair of us. Guy comes along, tops up our glass of champagne. I don't really remember much apart from waking up in a police station and trying to piece together everything that had gone on. But basically my drink got spiked and pretty badly. And I basically got taken by a gang. And so I left the club and I got into what I thought was a taxi to take me home. And it was a gang car. And that experience changed me for a very, very long time because for a start, you're in that city on your own. No one even knows this has happened to you. Yeah. No one knows. Um, and also it's really interesting because very recently this spiking thing had happened in the local town where I'm from and someone yeah. asked me to talk about it. And I was a bit like, I don't know if I want to go there because it wasn't very nice. And that experience, I mean, I stopped drinking for a year. I stopped going out. I couldn't eat meat. Like I suddenly became veggie. It was really weird. Um, it kind of gave me a massive wake up call. And I think seeing that that's now still happening, and especially in the town where I'm from, mm. I found really disturbing. And, you know, as a girl, and I'm pretty street streetwise and quite smart you hope that's never going to happen to you and when it does I mean I was very very lucky and there's a lot more detail that I could go into of things that happened along the way but I ended up on the same night um the gang had taken me to this place and I managed to escape but if 
anyone who's watching this has ever had rehypno or something similar, it takes out your legs. Like you can't move, like you can't, you can't hardly walk. So trying to run like I was in heels at the time to get away from this gang was pretty crazy situation. But one of the gang members at the time had helped me to get away. It's just mad even talking about it. Anyway, long and short of it, the rest of the gang found that he'd helped me. And I was in this industrial estate in the middle of Hounslow. Hounslow, mad. And I remember him looking at me and he looked at me dead in the eye and he looked at my bag and the gang had driven around the corner and was screaming at him because obviously they didn't, they didn't want me to get away, right? And then he looked at me and he mugged me. And so he took my bag with my phone, my house keys, my money. And so I'm on an industrial yeah. estate in Hounslow. Had no idea where I was, because I, I didn't know I was in Hounslow at the time. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how I was going to get home. And it was like probably three, four in the morning. So yeah, that kind of as a situation changed everything for me, really. And taught me that I needed to stop walking that line where you think that, you know, you're invincible. And I think that was such a big lesson for me. And one that kind of made me realize how precious life is and that maybe at that time I was probably pushing it a bit too far. Um, but I was very lucky. And I remember the police being, they thought it, it had been a lot, a lot worse of a situation than it had. And I remember them saying to me, look, Carly, whatever happened that night, it was almost like someone was looking over you because mm. let me tell you this, there was other people that we dealt with that night that weren't as lucky. And so, yeah, I don't know, but that's probably the worst. And I did warn you, it's not a pretty conversation. And, but I also think that in this job, you have to be straight and, you know, you can live this Instagram life where everything's like, oh, here's the rosy part of my life. But then also here's the fucking cold hard reality and this stuff can happen. And so I think it's really important that when you go out, you have each other's backs, you look after each other. You are aware that the world can be a crazy place at times, but also you have a responsibility to yourself to make sure you're looking after yourself. And I think, you know, in the music industry, you can get lost. There's moments where it is full on foot to the floor hedonism if you want it. But then mm. there also comes a point where it's like, how far are you going to take this? Because at the end of the day, you can blame other people for why you're in these situations, or you can look at yourself and be like, right, from now on, I'm going to take responsibility for myself. I'm not going to drink as much. I'm going to make sure that I train. I'm going to make sure I eat healthy. I look after myself because, you know, whilst that situation was absolutely awful, I think, and for my family as well, because I had to phone my mom at like five in the morning or whatever time it was on a landline because I had no one's numbers and tell her what had happened. You know, mm. that's a hard thing for a parent to have to hear at the other end of the phone. But I think from that point onwards, I, I gave myself a big talking to that, you know, you're a human being, you're here and you have to be responsible for your life. And I don't think I was probably, I think I was probably knee deep in the London party scene and, you know, probably pushing it a bit far, if I'm honest. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> I told uh, you, uh, I didn't warn you. I I did. <laughs> you did, yeah, you did, you did, um, yeah, before we, before we recorded the podcast, you were like, the, the, yeah, we'll go, we'll go into, we'll go into this story, but do you want to talk about it? And I was like, yep, yep, absolutely, we'll talk about it, but I'm just processing, I'm still processing what you said there, uh, to be honest, that is, that is absolutely horrendous. Was there like an investigation into like the, whoever was running the party? Yeah, they went to the club, they saw me get into the cab. They couldn't get the information. They never found who did it. Um, they tried to get other CCTV from the other parts of the street and they couldn't. What's interesting is the girl that I was with also got put in a cab, but she actually got put in a proper cab. 
mine was a gang car because as they left, I got into the cab with just one person. They obviously watched me because by this point, I think we were both, we both just looked like we were white wine drunk, I think. Mm. They then they, they put us in cabs, I think, or I got in a cab and then they drove around the corner and then gang, other, the other gang members got in the car. And I remember it really clearly. I remember them all getting hell. in and thinking, oh shit. And then that was that. It was like, yeah, it was crazy. But, you know, this is reality of living in a big city. You have to literally be careful. And as a girl, I think, you know, even as a guy, you have to have your own back. And I think, you know, sometimes you think these things are never going to happen to you, but you still hear stories and this stuff does still happen on a weekend right now in 2022. And so, you know, I don't know what the shift is for this to change. And like I say, when it was happening in my hometown just a few months ago, it kind of, and I think people were getting injected with it. I think people were saying they were walking through yeah. it. You know, that's another level of, you've got to be careful. But, you know, this guy got a bottle of champagne and I think that the drugs were in the champagne bottle. So as he poured it, he would put it into me and my friends, but you know, I did warn you. It was a pretty bleak story, so apologies for that. That's, We're having a lovely chat, no, weren't no, no. we? <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to apologise at all. It's, um, like you said, it, it, it's important for people to to hear the balance and to hear for the for the other side for the whole spectrum of the music industry. Like you said, people can see things through rose tinted glasses. Social media is what everybody. It's like everyone's CV, isn't it? Everybody is having the best time in the world. This is what I've done. This is what it is. But to get that full balance, obviously, thank you for being open and honest about that experience and being able to shed some light on, like you said, giving the balance of what it is like in the music industry and what it is like to live in the city and what it is like to go somewhere and sort of start something fresh. And um, so some of the potential that can happen, like you said, you can have all of these incredible opportunities and create these incredible experiences. But unfortunately, there are obviously the other sides to that, which is um, which is absolutely horrendous. But it's also life, right? And in life, you have to have negative experiences or what we perceive as negative. That's how you grow. That's how you evolve. Like, like I say, after that, I stopped drinking for a year. It was probably the best thing that could happen to me. You know, even though in that situation at that time, you don't always know why this is happening. And, you know, it was, it was brutal, but I think, you know, in our generation, we can always want, you know, there's this toxic positivity, you know, stay positive. You know, you've got to do this. No, life isn't that. Like look to nature, look at how that works. We need to be more like that. And I think, you know, social media has that whole thing of everything, everything's great. And actually, you know, behind that, people can be struggling with their mental health. They can be in abusive relationships. They can have stuff like this happen all the time. And I think, you know, it's a responsibility, isn't it? When you start to get a following and you start to have an audience because however much I don't want to feed negative stuff all the time and I want to show people you can create stuff in your life, mm. bad stuff is going to happen, like it or not. We are human. People that you care about are going to hurt you. There's going to be people along the way that are going to pass away and it's going to be heartbreaking. But you need that stuff. And, you know, we, we can shy away from it and, and you don't always want to witness it and you don't always want to go through it. But unfortunately, that's why we're here. And, you know, sometimes it's those big lessons that are the things that actually make you as a human being. And so even when I look, when I saw your question, I was like, I've got to be honest. I can't, I can give you some like, right, yeah. I'll give you a softer version of this or I can just be honest. And so, yeah, 
that's the worst thing that's happened. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> fuck, not fuck. Sorry. Just moving on. Yeah, you have. You have. Do you know what? Lovely? I was going to ask you, what do you class as a win nowadays? But I don't really feel that's a. Uh, I don't really feel that's a, a suitable necessarily question after uh, after the the last one. Well, actually, it would be because it's flipping again back to the positive and flipping again back around and changing the perspective of it. So, what do you what do you class as a as a win nowadays? I mean, I set my sights high, if I'm honest, and so. I'm always like on my own back. And that's what I'm saying, even about that situation I told you about. It's like, what's my part in it? And how can I be a better human? And so a win for me is just anything where if I've set a goal and I've then worked really hard to make it happen, whether that be something really simple to do with my career or my personal life or, you know, doing something for somebody else. I think every day is just about getting up, isn't it? Putting one foot in front of the other and making sure you have small wins. And I think it's all of those little small wins that end up coming together to create big wins. Like if you think about my track of the week, right, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have got up every day and worked towards it. And so I think it's about, I remember years ago, I ran a marathon and I was, I hated running, absolutely fucking hated it. Couldn't think of anything worse. And I remember thinking, and I had three months to train. I was like, how am I going to actually do this? Because it's over 26 miles. Like, how am I going to do this? Mm. And the way I got around it was just thinking, just put one foot in front of the other and just keep doing it. One foot in front of the other the whole time. And I think that's the same with the music industry. And it's the same with, you know, whether you want to be a musician, a manager, an agent, a DJ, whatever, just get up every day and just take one step further towards where you want to be. And I think it's all those small wins, uh, actually the things that, get you to the big dream in the end. And I think, I think that's what feels and gives you the most fulfillment and also means that your dreams are within reach because it's not like you wake up one day and that one big leap just gets you there. It's not, Mm. it's about all the hard work that goes into that day in, day out. And I'm not even just talking about physical work. I'm talking about in your head, like being on top of stuff, imagining it happening. Don't doubt yourself because so much of the stuff that is in our life starts with our thoughts, good and bad. You know, the stuff that you fear is the stuff that you end up creating in your life a lot of the time. But also the stuff that you want to achieve, you've got to get up every day and, you know, work towards it and imagining it happening. And I think, yeah, so much of our outside world starts on the inside. So it's being on your own case the whole time and making sure that you're just never giving up when things get tough because that's when it can be easy to back down. And sometimes it's that last little push that gets you just to where you need to be, you know? Yeah, 100%. That's full circle all the way right back to the start of the podcast where you were saying you write down the what you have achieved for the end of the year and you're ticking them off as though you've already done it. And that's what you said. Manifesting it there, putting it mentally down, like absolutely putting yourself in that mindset of going like, I've already done this, having small goals and having like small weekly goals and having monthly goals and then having yearly goals and sort of like 10 yearly goals and stuff like that. Having those steps and being like, right, I'm not, like you said there, I'm not just going to jump to the end. I'm not just going to achieve X, Y, Z without putting in like sort of the 10,000 hours first, putting in the small, like little goals first, um, and ticking those off to, to achieve to the, uh, to achieve to the big one. Carly, it's been, um, it's been, it's been fantastic to chat to you this evening. Very interesting to hear because you have got such a massive show reel. You have got so many experiences in the industry from presenting, from producing, from DJing, from interviewing people on the red carpet, off the red carpet, like film stars, 
music stars having radio play now presenting like uh, you've you've touched so many corners of the music industry and have shared sort of like your roots into the music industry and sort of where you've allowed yourself to go and where you've worked yourself to go and you haven't just necessarily gone down one route and gone like you know what, i'm just gonna follow this through that like you've suddenly gone like right I've, I've achieved this i've done this what's the sort of next step i can sidestep across i can sort of you know what i can go down this road if i need to because i've got this skill set and because i've managed to work hard enough and i've managed to like put enough effort into this sort of avenue whether it's broadcasting whether it's djing whether it's producing whether it's um interviewing and presenting and other bits and pieces like that it's just demonstrating into listeners and viewers that um regardless of whatever section you are in the music industry or even if you haven't really stepped foot into it yet that the, you you're never sort of pigeonholed you're never pigeonholed at all you can go whichever direction you want as long as you can obviously put your as, as cheesy as it sounds as long as you do put your mindset to it and as long as you do sort of have that mentality to it there's sort of nothing really stopping you yeah of course and just be consistent as well like if you say you're going to do something do it and follow through with it and you know there's so many different avenues that you can take now. And also what's really interesting is you don't always have to go to the big cities anymore. The internet has kind of thrown it all open. So I think that's that feels really almost, I don't know, just, just so exciting again because you can take any route that you want. And there's so many people that are doing so many different things. And I think, you know, the music industry is a very special place and I feel so blessed to have worked in very different areas but the main thing for me is the music and as long as you always bring it back to that and keep that at its core then you'll have a very long and happy career in it i've told you once i've told you twice you're not on the list all right, all right.